This portion of our program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, right off of 146. Delicious food and drink, always a nice crowd. You can either eat in the lounge area, there's normally a game on and a nice group of people there, or you could sit out in the dining room. Don't forget the nice weather, they have the deck open. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, delicious food and drinks awaiting for you. I'll see you at the Lodge. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, which is dipietro.com. An interesting riff, rift, excuse me, that has really come out publicly now. And one individual is speaking. The other one is not. But the person that's speaking out is Attorney General Peter Narona. And he was suddenly very visible last week. Now, I've dealt with Attorney General Peter Narona since he was, in fact, U.S. Attorney. And then he replaced Peter Kilmartin. I like him. Um, And I find his attempts and ability to be transparent very refreshing. He is a formidable candidate, I think, should he decide to run for governor, which he may in 2026, I think he would be a tough opponent. But what I like is he is speaking out right now. He needs more money for his office. You have all this state money for all these different departments that is just wasted. And we need more law enforcement in this state. So he sits down for an interview, newsmakers, Tim White, and he talks about the rift right now going on with Governor McKee. Now, Governor McKee, who's very vindictive, will not provide $2 million more to Nerona, who needs to expand certain divisions within his office. So I want to pick it up, and I find his candor very, very refreshing. This is Attorney General Peter Nerona, and this is him on Newsmakers with Tim White. All right, so I, I kind of want to just cut to it, and, and I apologize for the lengthy setup to this question here. Yeah, but sure. Boston Globe columnist and former colleague of mine, Dan McGowan, profiled you this week and wrote about some apparent tensions between you and the governor. Yeah. Your office investigated his former chief of staff, Tony Silva, did not find criminality, but your report found that he showed very poor judgment. Those are your words. Yeah. There was another investigation into a controversial education contract, which had ties to the McKee administration, the feds are primarily handling that but you've also been a vocal critic of some uh, state agencies including the department of health i actually want to get into that in this program political observers think the denial of your budget request may be vindictive are they wrong look i don't know i don't have a relationship they could be right though it could be right yeah look i don't i don't i don't have a personal relationship with the governor we don't speak and you know i can't can't that sounds like a problem yeah well look it's not a problem for me if i have the resources to do my job i know what i need to do and i'll do it on behalf of the people of the state but i think look the bottom line is this is that i know uh, that we'll deliver if we have the resources part of my request is defending the state if i don't get those resources i'm going to have to take uh i'm going to have to take action to hand off some of those cases or decline some of those cases until I can get my caseloads down to where we can defend the state adequately. We're not in that place right now. And look, I think an investment in our office is more than justified. We have been there where others have not been there. Whether that's about energy rates, uh, about a year ago now, we were fighting with National Grid and we're now in energy to bring $200 million back to the state that the DPUC took the opposite position. Yeah, fought you on. Fought us on it right. in court. We yeah. were in court and the DPUC took the position that the Attorney General should not fight for Rhode Islanders. It's one of the most astonishing things I've seen in my term. We were there for Roger Williams and Fadawa hospitals. There's no doubt in my mind if we don't have that $80 million in the bank, they're closing. We're preventing them from closing. We were there. The Department of Health, candidly, was not. So the Health Services Council approved that transaction. Same thing with the merger. We issued a decision on the merger, and health did not. Now, that's not... I want to be clear here in particular. I take issue, for example, with the DPUC. I take issue with the CRMC. I have enormous respect for the people at health. I believe they need an investment, too. They handled the, uh, the epidemic brilliantly. We've had great uh, great collaboration on the opioid settlements. 
but they need to step up as regulators, and they probably need an investment there, too. Why don't we get into that? And first, I do want to note that a spokesperson for McKee cited the, quote, uncertainty of a future recession and lower revenues for why he didn't put it in the budget. That was to Dan McGowan. All right. You brought up the Department of Health. Now, folks, about again, and I want to give credit, that is uh, newsmakers Tim White with Attorney General Pina Narona. Now, again, um, he is so refreshing in my mind since you had Attorney General Patrick Lynch, who was basically using the office to just travel all the time, going on all these different trips, nothing that was really serving the people. And there were, there were insider uh, deal situations, especially the situation in Johnston, some of the deals that took place there. Um, Attorney General Lynch certainly, you know, didn't adequately, I don't believe, do what he, he could have done. Attorney General Peter Co-Martin was a disaster. That was eight years. He never, not one press conference, not one press conference in eight years. He was the opposite of available to the press. And he was another one traveling all the time. So I like Attorney General Peter Narona. I respect Attorney General Peter Narona. I see him out at different things. He is very uh, accessible. I have interviewed him one-on-one. What I really respect about Attorney General Peter Narona is even when he has made the decision not to prosecute, he's held a press briefing when he's had made decisions, his office, where they were going to bring charges. He has held press briefings and makes himself available, which you have to understand that's making himself available to the public, to you. So it's not just to the press. The press is there on behalf of the public. I don't know if everyone fully understands that or comprehends that. But you can't say, I'm going to make an announcement and, you know, we're going to meet with one million people. So the press is there on behalf of the individuals. So, but the fact is, Governor McKee, look at the pettiness from this governor. Look at the vindictiveness. And I also get the sense that Attorney General Peter Narona that looking back, he could have brought charges against Tony Silva. He could have. Absolutely. There was misuse of the office. It was a form of almost extortion. He completely misused and used his position as the governor's chief of staff. He was trying to ram through that wetlands project. He was. And they could have brought some charges. Could have brought some charges there. That would have forever changed Tony Silva's life. Would have forever changed the McKee administration. And last fall... Attorney General Peter Narona could have withheld endorsement with Governor McKee, could have withheld endorsement. Probably in hindsight, he shouldn't have. I thought it was questionable at the time. It allowed McKee to kind of wiggle out of the fact he was under an FBI probe. I think Peter, Attorney General Peter Narona regrets that now. Um, and another dynamic of that is now McKee being vindictive about Silva, vindictive about Bud Craddock, being vindictive about the ILO contract being investigated. He's now withholding money from the office of attorney general. I'm not surprised with Governor McKee at all. I think I don't think I think that's exactly who he is. But Narona's not backing down, and Narona wants that money included in the budget. So we're going to talk about that and a lot more. Boy, this battle, Attorney General and the governor. That is a dangerous guy for the governor to decide to get into a war of words with or actions, go to war with. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. Falcon Pest Services, 12 months of the year, you could have a pest problem. Serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts called Falcon Pest Services today, 401-739-1322. Free consultation, 401 739 1322 locally owned and operated serving rhode island and southeastern mass they offer services for termites bed bugs ants roaches mice rats in the summertime spring fall mosquitoes and many other pests call today for a free consultation whether it's for your home or a restaurant maybe it's once a year maybe it's once a month call falcon pest services today free consultation 401 401- 739-1322. Residential and commercial, whether it's an office building, a school, a hotel, a restaurant, or your home, call Falcon Pest Services today. Free consultation, 401-739-1322.
You're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dePietro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics, this week. Joining us, he is the managing editor, IncaRising.com. It is Justin Katz. So Justin, I want to start off, and not everyone's going to get this, but to me it's really – it's very, very significant what's happening. It kind of erupted at the end of last week, and I, I want – the listeners to understand that I covered Attorney General Peter Kilmartin. In eight years, he never held a press conference. Couldn't get the guy. You didn't see him until it was election time. He was always traveling, always out of state. Um, you know, he was the ultimate at five o'clock on a Friday. They'd release a press release with information. But um, but Attorney General Peter Narona, who had been the U.S. Attorney, totally different, very accessible. He'll even hold a press conference when he announces he's not bringing charges to explain why. Well, at the end of last week, and I have a feeling it's going to continue, he really went on the offensive. He did a sit-down with the Boston Globe, Dan McGowan, and took issue with Governor McKee. He then did a sit-down at Channel 12 with newsmakers. And just to kind of – we'll talk about it a little bit, but to sum it up, uh, he I like the line. He said, you know, there's 300 lawyers on the state payroll. I only have 100 of them. I don't know what 200 – the other 200 are doing – but basically feels his office is understaffed. Uh, they need more funding. He's asking for $2 million. Governor McKee took it out of the budget or won't include it in the budget, I should say. And then basically he – I mean you can look at what has happened. That Governor McKee is being vindictive because he didn't like the fact that Attorney General Peter Narona um, investigated his chief of staff, Tony Silva, pushed back on that. Also had the situation with the ILO contract and then even Bud Craddock. But what was really extraordinary was Friday afternoon and Attorney General Peter Narona is still this time was on Twitter going after that Michael Mata in the Memorial Hospital situation. So I want to start off. and I know some people won't get it, but it's it's very significant that you have the attorney general being so vocal and especially when it comes to uh, the sitting governor right now. Well, certainly. And on that specific, I think, in my view, there, there are really two issues going on here. One's the personal con- conflict with um, with McKee, and the other is more focused on, on Narona, and that involves his use of Twitter, and which McGowan said is a fun read, which, you know, I kind of wonder, should should the attorney general's Twitter feed really be fun? I'm not I'm not sure that's a positive thing. But there, so there's stuff going on with, with Narona, but I think that with McKee, what, what it made me, one of the line I picked up on in one of the conversations was he said he has no personal relationship with McKee, which reminded me of basically the relationship between Raimondo and McKee when she was governor and he was lieutenant yes. governor. And I think that, that the point. fact that that's two very different politicians saying that, I think it starts to point to something with McKee. And I think the vindictiveness is a, is a probably first and foremost, and Nerona's still complaining that Tony Silva uh, implied he was being politically uh, yeah the the ag's office was being political and going after him which is which is ridiculous because at best tony silver's uh activities while under the employ of the governor were were questionable uh at best so i mean there's a lot there to blame blame mckee for and i think there's that's you know it shouldn't come to that where the attorney general i mean it he did ask for a six percent increase in his budget and and arguably a lot of the things he's going after uh, i mean as a as a conservative i i don't think the attorney general should be so active in the in the climate change front for example uh but but he is so what's frustrating is the lack of communication and the fact that they can't they can't really mainly because of McKee, they can't work together. He's not that kind of a leader or politician. I, I hesitate to call him a leader. Now, on the other hand, something is up with Nerona. I, I've actually, I've tried tweeting at him to, to calm it down because he is, his, his Twitter feed has become incredibly, uh, incredibly political, incredibly, I don't know, kind of immature in a way, you know, politically hostile, uh, very very partisan and so i think there's that part too going on something has is is wrong in arona's going going awry in arona i think he's starting to enjoy uh the notoriety like 
it had to feel good to have Dan McGowan say at a Boston Globe, oh, his, his Twitter feed's fun. He's, he's going, he's, he's making a lot of use of it, you know, complimenting him on his use of Twitter. And I think he likes that. Um, but there's, there's also, you know, he's just, the way he's, one of the other lines he, in, I think it was McGowan's column, he mentions that, uh, McGowan mentions that McKee went around before the election talking about how Nerona had endorsed him. And so he yes. couldn't be corrupt because he had been endorsed. And I think Nerona, right. so Nerona strikes me, and this is the, you know, armchair psychology, sure. and, you know, but he, it strikes me that he's like the, the good guy, the, the good lawman, lawyer guy who got in it for the right reasons and wanted to do right. And he's got, he got sucked into kind of the partisanship in yeah. endorsing McKee. And now that's tangled him up. And now he's getting sucked into the, the lure of Twitter as a, as a way to gain, gain attention. And I think that's sucking him in as well. I think those combined are, are, are bad for, bad for Nerona and therefore bad for the state. Folks, again, our segment is politics this week with us is Justin Katz, managing editor at anchorising.com. Now, Justin, I'm actually going to disagree, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. And I want to be really clear with everyone that's listening. There's, you know, there's two different Twitter accounts. You have the account of the attorney general, and that's all just the facts. You know, here's what happened, cases. But then he has his own personal account, right, which is when you're running for office and so on. That's the one where he's very active. You know, I find it's – I'm going to disagree. I find it refreshing. He is, for instance, the fact that he mentioned – there's 300 lawyers on the state payroll, and I only got 100. So what are the other 200 doing? That's one of those things, Justin. You're not supposed to talk about all the people that are on the payroll for the state. And you and I talk about all the communication people that have jobs and so forth. So I like that. Um, I also think in my, in my view, the way I view it is that we're, we're seeing some sense of regret, which is the attorney general, Peter Nero, they, they you know, there probably was a case. And they probably could have made push charges against Tony Silva. But I think they regret it because then right after they don't press charges, Silva turns around and says, oh, yeah, the whole thing was political anyway. <laughs> he went out on a limb and did say that he endorsed McKee. And now I think he regrets it because then a few months later that, you know, whatever McKee was saying back in the fall, it comes back to bite him. Where we're, we're going to disagree is, and I understand what you're saying about the partisan stuff, but I, I, I like people that are vocal when it's – he knows what he's doing. I know some people don't understand the, the nature of Twitter the way you and I do, but it's a way to talk directly to local media. He knows when he's putting out something, for instance, the way he did against Bob Memorial Hospital or pushing back on, on Tony Silva, he knows the Kathy Greggs, the Ian Donises, the Ted Nieces, the Dan McGuire. He knows it's, – it's almost like he's speaking directly to them. And they are picking up on it. So um, I, I, I agree. I think it's unusual. But if I have a choice, if I have a choice between Kill Martin, who was in the bunker and would never say anything with no accessibility, and someone that's starting to be out there. And it's my understanding he's not going to let it go. Look at you and I have talked about the millions McKee gave away in bonuses to, you know, state police to wear body cam and those teachers. And Rhode Island has a crime problem. So two million more for his office to if there's any State Department where I'd say that I don't think they are wasting time or resources. I would say it's the attorney general's office compared to the amount of overtime that the correctional officers get or just all these jobs at the state house. So just from from my standpoint, and I'll give you the final word on it, I, I kind of find it refreshing that he's being so vocal. And especially push back and not say, hey, I don't care that we're all supposed to be on the same team. You know, this is a Democrat governor who's who's being vindictive and now won't give us the budget increase we want because because I investigated his his uh, some of the dealings of his office. Right. Well, and, and to to. Be a little bit more specific in my, my comments on the Twitter use. It's, it's that kind of stuff as if, if it were in keeping with, like I said, the good lawman uh, image. And if he were he were being vocal and pressing on issues relevant to him that were that we all could kind of get on board with, that'd be fine. But he, he's just spewing this, the, the standard Democrat progressive lines on, on just about every issue. So like the other day, maybe it was yesterday, he, he tweeted out a picture of of a be careful on the ice 
uh, sign by a pond, I think, in Jamestown and said, there hasn't been ice on this in 20 years. We've got to stop climate change. That's just a stupid thing to say. I mean, in my view, Rhode Island Act on Climate is not going to put ice back on a pond in Jamestown, even if you could directly attribute that to climate change. So he's jumping into this issue in a way where he's saying, I'm going to advance progressive causes here. And it just, that's what I mean, is that kind of thing. He's done a bunch of stuff on abortion and I think other social issues as well, where it's, all right, now you're just running for office. You know, that you're just trying to cater to your progressive base, either that or you're, you're more foolish than I thought you were. That's what I think where he's getting sucked in, because that's what Twitter wants as a as an algorithm. They don't want, I'm the good lawman and I need more money to do good things for the people of Rhode Island. That stuff isn't going to get the feedback that the more aggressive progressive stuff does. And I think that's that's where he, he's he's being sucked into that. And he, he really should reconsider and, and try to keep the suit and tie image more intact. Whether he uses Twitter for that or not, that's that's I'm, I'm ambivalent about that. But that's that he's, he's being drawn into Twitter as a way of being more than just as a tool is, is, is the feeling I get. And one more final thing on I think it was in the the McGowan uh, column. Um, <clears throat> it was the first time he but he used the phrase, if I were governor, I would I think he said double the size of the office. So that's the first time we've heard him say that when he was um, investigating, you know, the Jeff Britt case with Matt Yellow, he went out of his way to say he would not be running for governor in 2022. As you look down the line, he sees both Senate seats are taken. He declined to run for the congressional seat in CD1. Um, you have Helena Bonanno folks just sitting out there almost like waiting around um, for 2026 so she can run for governor again. I think it's interesting for someone like Attorney General Peter Narone to throw that, that's the first time I've heard him use the phrase, if I were governor, um, because I think that maybe could be some indication of maybe he's thinking in 2026 when he's term limited out um, that he would make a run for the, the top office. He, he wouldn't be able to be attorney general again. Yeah. But, well, he, he spent that he spent that whole article talking about how important things are not being done in state government. And when we yeah. said, are you thinking of running for governor? He said, I would only run if important things aren't being done in state government. So yes. I mean, he certainly is lobbying himself an alley-oop he on, is. On, to run. He's making excuses yeah. for his, his pledge, his sort of pledge not to or the impression he's led people that, lead, that he was not going to get into that kind of role. But he's certainly edging that way, which uh, given his his behavior on Twitter recently and his his open records record i'm not thrilled about myself folks quick break much more ahead politics this week justin katz managing editor anchorising.com right here on the john DePietro show propane plus in rhode island for all your propane needs call them 401-885-4209 in massachusetts you can reach them at 508 502-3359 propane heating and cooling it's propane plus their team's been there three generations they're available 24 7 for service and delivery and they plan on serving you for a long time to come they offer online billing ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button and remember all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment it's propane plus and remember with propane it's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and now it's renewable call propane plus today at 401-885-4209 in massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com propane plus call them 401-885-4209 Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz. Now, Justin, I think um, this actually, I was disappointed it didn't get more attention, but you have the race for CD1, Congressional District 1, which is the Cicilline seat. And someone that has now officially jumped into the race, and you and I have talked about him at great length, and that is very extreme progressive Aaron Ruggenberg. And he ran and lost 1,500 votes primary 2018 against McKee. Well, a group of aggressives came out and I don't think it got enough attention. I took the time to actually read all of their, from Maura Walsh to Cynthia Mendez, who was the Matt Brown, um, you know, co-ran on the ticket with him for the co-op collaborative. <clears throat> and it's this scathing. Uh, also, Jennifer O'Rourke, I think um, Harrison Tuttle, I believe, a couple others. But anyhow, 
where they really go after Aaron Ruggenberg is, and, and by the way, Cynthia Mendez even goes after Matt Brown. They're these white male saviors, and they're caught up in ego, and they think they're going to parachute in and help everyone, but it's really just their own ego that they're trying to further, and it's, it's, it was vicious going after Ruggenberg, and then I think Maura Walsh, her, what she wrote was even more hard-hitting, which was basically she wins, and then afterwards, Ruggenberg and these couple others, they're all arguing over who should write the piece in order to win, but Cynthia Mendez going after Matt Brown, and to me, almost depicting that Matt Brown, Ruggenberg, they're the same way, these Ivy League white males, that they act as if they're the savior, uh, but but they're just in it for themselves, and they run these nonprofits, and uh, they're not to be trusted, and they go against women, and it it, it was really scathing. I, I don't know why there hasn't been more follow-up. If this is any indication of what it's going to be like them during the campaign, I think this is going to be tremendous. But I did want to get your reaction and thoughts and some of the things that stood out to you from these progressives now uh, are brutal. I don't remember the last time I saw something like that takedown of Aaron Ruggenberg. Yes, I'm, I'm a little disappointed and sad because I, for at least 10, 12 years, I, I've been having a lot of fun pointing out the hypocrisy of the left that they keep putting together, yes. forward, putting forward these Ivy League white male saviors while they're talking identity politics. And I guess that, that joke may be running its course. The, the other thing that came to mind. They've been that, listening to you. Yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's the hard wow. part. You got to kind of whisper it, you know, keep falling in the trap, please. Uh, but the, I also thought of, um, yeah, I think it was 60s, 1960s firing line with Bill Buckley. He had on this revolutionary Marxist guy. This young guy seemed stoned. And he was actually saying, well, yeah, eventually the revolution's going to come for me because I'm privileged and I recognize that. I thought of that because he kind of fit that look, like the Ivy League yes. white guy with the black post-cut black hair. <laughs> and I, that's what that's what I think is happening. You know, I think and I think that's it. It should be a war. It'll be entertaining to watch, but it should also be a warning sign for moderate Democrats and others as they will come for you. I think they think they can stoke these these young, younger identity politics types for for support and enthusiasm and energy and that they'll they'll somehow skate by. But I I don't think that's the case. I mean, as you, you train a generation of revolutionaries and you put identity politics as the main thing that they should be concerned about, they're going to come for you. They're going to you're going to get the guillotine, so to speak, you know, the French Revolution model. That's going to happen. I think we're seeing it with Regenberg. And I think he, he hasn't done himself any favors kind of exiting and going, oh, well, I, I guess I'll just I'll go to Harvard for a while while I'm not elected. You know, I'll, I'll keep doing the Ivy League type stuff. Uh, People, you know, where were you when we were protesting homelessness? I think you could feel that kind of vibe. And I, but I think that's what we're getting. We're getting people who are who are angry. They've been told that their anger is justified. The world is unjust and it's because of the, their gender and their color of their skin. And then you see this white guy come waltzing in after, you know, exiting from politics for a bit and say, oh, I'm going to run for this lifetime appointment, more or less, uh, in Congress. And yeah, you're going to get that pushback. Whether whether it's at that fever pitch yet, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see if he starts bringing in lots of progressive support. I mean, we saw uh, even, say, Pat Crowley and others going against the co-op. You know, so they were saying, well, don't mess up our progressive game here in Rhode Island by That's being right. too radical. So they're, they'll come back and protect Regenberg. And, but it'll be interesting. Eventually, those, those grifters like Crowley won't won't be able to hold back this anger i don't think whether it's now i guess we'll see how much do you think it hurts uh the cause and do you think it's going to hurt his candidacy in cd1 it's i'll tell you justin for, for you know people like you and i that have followed this and watched it was um i i just found what they were writing was was pretty dramatic like the behind the scenes tearing the curtain away where they initially think that these two individuals and i'm going to even have kind of put them in the and in, in put them together, lump them together, both Matt Brown and Aaron Ruggenberg, where it's almost like the, like the power dynamic is, is really interesting. You have, you know, it's a mostly it's women of it's mostly women of color, as a matter of fact. And they just think initially their initial thought is that these guys are just like Superman. They're unbelievable. They're, you know, these really well-educated Ivy League uh, you know, white guys, but they're so incredible and they want to further the cause. And they're almost like a JFK, you know, mixed in with Martin Luther King. But then at the end of the day, when it's all over, 
they view them as complete egomaniac opportunists. It's all about them. It's not about the cause. And there just seems to be a trail of these progressives that feel, um, do you think it's, it's more of about Matt Brown and Aaron Ruggenberg or maybe Cynthia Mendes for her to be a total takedown and going after Matt Brown? I mean, I, I, it, there's, there's elements of this that then you're right, that do they just end up turning on, on anyone that tries to enter into their sphere? I think so. And I, but I think it's, you know, the accusations of ego and you're in it for your own benefit. I think that goes both ways for, yeah. for all of them. I mean, but I think a lot of their, there's a lot of feeling like, okay, we'll go with Reagan, Vernon, Bergen Brown and others of their, of their mold. They know what they're doing. And so we'll go along with them and eventually it'll be my turn, you know, Cynthia Mendez or whomever, and I'll, I'll be, you know, then I'll get the spotlight and they start. So it, I think it's ego versus ego more than anything else. I don't think there's any, any purity here, but I think a lot of it, uh, I, yes, if it, if it'll hurt, I, I think it will because a lot of what progressives rely on, because when it comes down to it, when people really get to understand what they're pushing, they don't support what they're pushing, which is why they have to pull the tricks like ESG and, and all this other stuff and push, push things through courts rather than, than you know, get votes from the people. Uh, I think that that's a problem. So they, they rely on this sort of lockstep support of each other and ignoring things that like we find are funny. I mean, we, you and I have laughed about Aaron Regenberg out there with a giant gavel, yeah. you know, <laughs> but he relies on his supporters going, Oh, I loved the giant gavel. That was awesome. Right. He showed he knows what he's doing. Once they start mocking him for the giant gavel, what does he got? nothing he's he's got no right. experience no life experience he's got he's he's certainly not a populist he, he doesn't people aren't going oh i i identify with matt brown i you know i or aaron regenberg uh, he's got nothing except that lockstep support and if that goes away and these these people as you said mostly women of color can can t- really ding that support and make the shining armor a lot less shiny i think it'll it'll be a big problem for him whether whether he can still pull through that we'll see i mean magaziner manages to do it and he fits the same exact mold so uh that's that's, that's right. one thing it, it, one of these elections they're not going to be able to pull their guy through and it, it'll be fun to watch when it happens yeah and just finally the, the cynthia mendez part i mean when you think about it she could have made all those arguments against Aaron Rogenberg and not brought up Matt Brown. The fact that she went out of her way to go after Matt Brown and they, you know, I think of them in the commercial or whatever. It was a video. I don't think it ever on television. They did the video together of, you know, I think the kids were even it. My dad listens yeah. to the Beatles. She listens to whatever it is. And, but there's this, there's this, this image that Matt Brown, Aaron Rogenberg, it's so important for them to be seen standing amongst, uh, you know, people of color and people that are gay and people that are trans and Latino. And because what their their message, when they have someone take a photo of them in the middle of that talking, the, the billboard that they really want would be, look what an unbelievable, great person this he is, because he's ideally educated, yet here he is with these uneducated you know, various types of minority groups. That's that's what I found the most striking was how she went out of her way to go after Matt Brown because she could have just left him out of it and then just talked about the the Aaron Ruggenberg thing. But I think I think you're right, Justin. I think they have been listening to you. It echoes a lot of what we've been saying. It's kind of funny when with them and they wouldn't even realize it that the light goes on. Like, oh, okay, these guys have just been kind of using the whole movement just to further themselves. And just finally, I, I always found and still do the biggest joke was Matt Brown formed a nonprofit. Uh, I think he was paying himself 300000 a year, and it was to try to eliminate nuclear weapons from countries. I mean, think about that. Think of that in light of what's going on with Russia, Ukraine and China and North Korea. It's it's all just another like like, look how remarkable I am. I'm trying to work towards, you know, world peace. While getting Folks, rich. <laughs> yes, while getting rich. Folks, and I think the wife also had a part in it as well. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. For over 125 years, Ameriprise Financial has provided advice for clients' unique goals help millions of Americans retire on their terms. Now, as we're at the end of the year, beginning of a new year, why not take advantage of our free consultation? Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial, 
434-1510. Offices located 400 Massasoit Avenue in East Providence put the strength of a leader in retirement planning to work for, for you through a personal one-on-one relationship. Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial Advisors, 401-434-1510. Get solid advice. Get a plan, whether it's for yourself, you and a spouse, maybe your children or grandchildren. Take advantage of this free consultation, Ameriprise Financial, 401-434-1510. Call right now, 401-434-1510. Tom Bryan, Ameriprise Financial Advisors. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz. Justin, a couple of the stories. One is, this was an interesting dynamic. Channel 12 did a story about the new chief of police in Providence, Chief Oscar Perez. And it has to do with his brother. And there's actually a nephew who is um, involved, was arrested being a fentanyl uh, supplier, dealer, whatever you want to say. But I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the Channel 12 piece. And more importantly, Mayor Brett Smiley made the decision to sit next to him in the interview. And I think he was trying to show support. To me, when I looked at it, I, I just I hated the imaging of it because it almost looked like the chief been, to me called down to the principal's office and there's the parent. But there was no reference um, in the piece that, as you and I know, that Cicel, Mayor Cicilline was the he was the mayor of Providence when his brother went to or right after, went to federal prison. Um, I, I, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on the piece that, by the way, used all essentially anonymous sources. But more importantly, the aspect of the mayor being in there, because I knew that he didn't have to be. Uh, normally, this isn't a one off. There'll be a two and three. Is he going to be sitting next to him each time? Uh, but I'm just curious to hear your perspective on this Channel 12 piece on the police chief in Providence. Yeah, well, I I think the imagery was terrible, but I, I do think it's maybe maybe a, an improvement of, of the aspect. One of the things I haven't liked about the way he's they did the search and the way they've handled police chiefs in Providence is it's becoming almost like a political position. And this is yeah. a, a political question. So it's it's good that the political guy was there and you can keep that distinction between the cop and the political guy. Maybe they shouldn't have been side by side like that in the principal's office. But uh, but I, I think that that's a good indication that they've got some sense of how things ought to go. But generally the story, and I'm glad you brought up Cicilline and his family with you know the father working with the mob all the yeah. time as a lawyer. I mean that's it, it made me feel like we it might have originated with the Rhode Island Film Office because we haven't been getting enough film and television. I mean it's it's <laughs> like right. a it's like an episode of The Wire. I mean, yes. the, the two brothers are police and the, and the, the drug dealer nephew, you know, it's just that that starts to feel, you know, you know, you're going to get this when you get local families. And if they're larger right. families, there'll be people who do things. But you know, the two police who, who are who are related and the nephew, it, it starts to feel like eh, what's what's kind of going on here. Maybe there are some some walls and barriers that aren't up that ought to be. And I, but it does. It feels like something out of out of crime town or the wire or, or something or, like that. Or it's, brotherhood. It's, yeah, it's, it's exactly in the spirit of that. And yeah. I think Rhode Island ought to ask itself, why do we keep why do we keep generating this kind of a thing? And I think it does. It, in fairness, it does put Smiley in a bit of a bit of a bad position because it is it does feel like, well, here we go. Another mayor, another another episode of, of brotherhood. You know, you know, it just it just feels like that. And so politically, he's got to be wondering, can I how do I get out of this? And it's it's a tough thing for him to do. But that's Rhode Island. And it's, it's going to continue until we kind of insist that it does. I'm anxious to see how the mayor's going to handle this, because he, it, he did reveal that he was aware of this situation um, when, when he was he was interviewing the chief. I, I was there when he made the announcement and, and also full disclosure. I mean, I I know Chief Perez. I, I deal with him. I find him very accessible. But the smiley people definitely went out of their way to tout that it was the first, you know, Hispanic Latino chief in the in the history of the city. Um, chief seemed clearly uncomfortable, which I can imagine. I'm just I, I'm curious to see how the coverage is going to go of this. And more importantly, how the mayor is going to react to it. First time around, I know they were trying to be supportive by sitting next to him saying, hey, we're still all in with them. I don't know if he needed to be same shot 
could have done a separate interview like, hey, listen, yeah, I hired the guy. I'm standing by him, you know, but maybe lesson learned. Now, Justin, we've you know talked a lot about the homeless uh, for a while, but especially over the past year. And I just wanted to get your thought that it's slowly kind of quietly going on. But Channel 10 to Beast in Cranston, where they've had these uh, two different, you know, uh, encampments set up. Uh, Mayor Hopkins seemed to be pretty proactive. One was at Fay Field, where I used to play Little League years ago in the Edgewood section. And then the other one was closer to Chapel View. But Mayor Hopkins basically came out and said they're going to be evicting the people from these homeless encampments. Like, no, 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 it's not going to be allowed. You're not camping here. You're not setting up tents on, on public property. Nope, you're going to have to move out of here. You're going to have to go somewhere else. I'm just curious. To me, I found it refreshing if someone actually take that approach than the way that Governor McKee just seemed. It was like a hostage situation with him with the, the homeless. Yeah, it was. And I, right down to uh, the Channel 10's coverage, I think a lot, a lot of refreshing there. I mean, they went down to the camps and they saw there's there nobody there. So perhaps they were abandoned, but it just looked like a big lit area of litter. It looked like some people had gone yeah. for, for a fun camping weekend and left all their trash everywhere. And But I think yeah. that image was very important to show because, I mean, and you, you referenced when you used to play Little League there. It made me think of when I was a kid in northern New Jersey hopping through the, the small areas of forest that were still there. And we didn't run across homeless encampments. And in, in fact, I remember one time my friends and I came across a guy kind of sleeping in there by himself in a, in a forested area. And the police like came on and said, come on, you guy, you got to get out of here. You got to move on. I mean, there are literally kids running through the woods. That's an important thing to remember. And I think the mayor's office, uh, his his uh, chief of staffs, not only mentioned that these places are dangerous for the, can be dangerous for the people who live there, who need services, but also for people who live in the area, whether there's fire or whatever, or kids right. running through the woods, running into people who may be high, they may have some problems. You don't know. There's a reason. We used to say, hey, move along, vagrants. You can't hang out in this public park. And I think that it's hopefully Cranston is an indication or Cranston's actions are an indication that they're starting to, people are starting to push back and say, now, wait a second, we can't have these tents everywhere. This is supposed to be a, a safe area, orderly, not litter everywhere. I mean, litter, if you look at legislation of the last 15 years, litter is one of the big boogeymen of the whole thing. They're talking about charging more for bottles because of to right. stop litter. And yet this is okay. <laughs> that's there's that big disconnect and I, th I hope people are starting to to be aware i liked at the end of the the channel 10 too they talked about how there's one right across from the police station in cranston but they can't do anything about it because it's state property so they called up mckee to say hey come get these people out of here uh, but we'll see if that actually happens i suspect he'll he'll find uh, somewhere else to be that day when the press comes calling if they do you know and just two other quick things i just you never hear the homeless advocates it's one thing okay you're obviously in a tough situation and you're down on your luck or whatever scenario they want to paint. There's still no excuse to leave all that trash and litter and these tents behind. As you say, it looks like someone had a, a, a camping weekend party. Then they just left all the trash there. there. There's never any accountability with that. And much like when they were at the state houses, you know, people were saying what really pushed to get them out of there was when Channel 10 did the piece that there were the needles all over the ground. Um Am I missing something? You never hear from the homeless advocates that, OK, you're going to be homeless, you're in a tent, but it doesn't mean you have to be a slob and leave all this litter laying around. Right. Well, and, and that's I mean, it, it, it's instructive how people respond when they say they're advocates, right? They, they're advocating for them as a protected class almost. But you'd think if, if we really support these people and want to help them. OK, we're going to be down there with garbage barrels. We're going to be down there right. helping them clean up, making sure they're OK. That's something advocates could do more productively than I mean, we're talking about Cynthia Mendez, more productively than spending two weeks unnecessarily sleeping outside in the cold by the state house as a protest. There, there are things you could be doing for these people. And I'm sure there are great people doing some of those things, but it's not it's not like the emphasis of the advocacy you see. And that's what I think make raises doubts for a lot of us. Um, just two other quick items. One is with the Pawtucket Soccer Stadium, there's starting to be some reports that the, the guy actually behind that, they, Mike Rea, who you and I both know, had worked for Raimundo, started his own communication thing, which means he's plugged in. He has been spinning this web of, oh, they've had all this success. We're learning now that you know they owe millions, they lose millions. If you notice, the talk, for whatever reason, of the soccer stadium has 
basically come to a halt. Um, I'll be the first one to say, I think it's going to be a mistake that they have this thing of, oh, we're going to play at the East Providence High School um, Stadium. I mean, what's what's that going to draw? Maybe a thousand people, if that. But just curious your thought on, I, I don't, I don't think the soccer stadium or attempts to save it, uh, the construction. I, I don't think they're building. If anything, I think it's starting to go the other way. Yeah, I, I think and I, I agree with you. There's, there's there's something about sports, professional sports that has to have that kind of mystique and that fanfare yeah. where you have to go to like a real stadium. This is the real deal here. If you're playing yeah. at, at the local high school, it feels like, well, why am I paying to see right. you, somebody who's a little bit better than our high school team? I mean, maybe they're a lot better, but I'm just saying, you know, it's it starts to right. it has that feel. Uh, but yeah, and, and the idea that what was it? He lost 17 million on the deal in the UK. Yeah, I think this there's a there's an element where you just get this government has money to spend and they want to seem like they're doing something. And so people pop up to take advantage of those things That's and, right. and not, not take advantage even necessarily in the, I'm going to, I'm going to rob these people, but they pop up like, here's a bunch of money. I'll give it a shot. Uh, and they're not necessarily, you know, especially if they, the less money they have of their own behind it, you know, they're not necessarily the most savvy people. And so you, you get these situations. And I, I think we create this demand by kind of allowing government to run roughshod over, over, taxing and tax increment financing and borrowing and spending uh, that creates this opportunity and it, so it's not surprising what would be surprising is if these things actually worked all the time and I, so i think i think it's probably headed south and we'll be we'll be getting that you know years and years ago in 38 studios i think it was you said i just heard something i think it was on twitter or, or somewhere on yes. social media i just heard something and everybody said what <laughs> i think we're going to have that coming with with the soccer stadium at some point in the near future and finally, Justin, you know, this talk about Memorial Hospital in Pawtucket and this uh, businessman developer, Michael Mata, and, and certainly now the attorney general's involved and the city of Pawtucket and this bad, big, big uproar. Uh, but to me, what is that more? It's more systematic and emblem, uh, emblematic of it's the ultimate. You reap what you sow. When you have someone like McKee at the helm and when you are anti-business and when you have public you know, sector unions running the show, you're not drawing quality business people that want to do business with the state. So as much as now, you know, they're all going after this guy, and I'm not going to say right or wrong, but you, when you have this type of business climate and, and this type of governor who is still under FBI probe, you're, you're not, you know, it's something you and I have talked about. You're, you're not going to draw quality, honest, professional business people when you start operating the way the McKee, you know, situation has been, never mind under Mattiello, these are the type of people that you draw out of the woodwork that want to do business with you. Yeah, exactly. You, you don't get the people who want to actually do something. They're, they're really skilled. What they're skilled at, because our system tests for this and, and weeds out anybody who doesn't play the game, is people who can jump the hoops, who can grease the palms, who know how to play the political game more than they play the play the, the business game, which is, is one of the fatal flaws of the whole approach. But I think what's interesting, given what we were talking about, a lot of the coverage of this just seems, it strikes me as weird. So here they've got Memorial Hospital, they're setting it up for homeless and low-income housing, I believe. And, and the attitude of everybody from Amos House and the state is, is, oh, we're not doing any business with them. Well, okay, hold on. <laughs> they've got space to put homeless people. Yeah. That's important. So no matter how much you don't like them, no matter how much sleazy you think he might be, the attitude seems to me like it ought to be, you know, we're, we're not necessarily happy about this, but we've got to find a way to utilize this space. I mean, that the, the fact that they we're not getting that just shows me, right. We, Rhode Island doesn't, isn't set up to accomplish things. No. It's set up for people to posture, to be political, to get their cut of it, uh, to sometimes feel morally righteous because they support this group or that group and the homelessness and that. And it's not set up like that. None of these people, and, and you see this again and again, I mean, and not, not to rant a little bit, but it goes, I've thought this too with the policy where, where, where schools, uh, schools will, Rhode Island has an official policy for schools to lie to parents 
arguments about gender identity. It's just the kind of thing there's there's no process. There's no how do we get a psychiatrist to verify we're right. making the right decision? How do we have an advocate, a third party advocate who makes sure that our teachers aren't doing something wrong? That's not it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even occur to them because none of these things, homelessness, uh, gender stuff, uh, it, none of it is really about helping people. And at the end of the day, it's about people feeling righteous and 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 getting some money out of it, too, a la Matt Brown and its nuclear dearmament. I mean, that's that's really what Rhode Island is seeped in right now. And, and honestly, I'm not sure there's a, an easy way out of it. And just finally, I want to pivot back to it was the Dan McGowan piece on uh, Attorney General Peter Narona. And Narona talked about when he went to go meet with House Speaker Nick Mattiello. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I know most people didn't read this, but it shouldn't be lost on them. And Mattiello made him wait 45 minutes. And then, so then when he finally did say, oh, come on. And he said, I only got five minutes. You know, Justin, and he said, you know, that is typical. I used to hear stories like that. He would do that with the poor sex owners. It's all, this is the House Speaker, but it's all about the power. It's all about you. Like they think that's what important people do. You make someone sit, even though you have a one o'clock meeting, whatever it is, you make them sit out in your lot, you know, your waiting area for 45 minutes before you, you bring them in, even though it's the attorney general. I heard the same thing about the, the paw sax owners. Um, it, 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 until that mentality goes away, and I'm not sure it will. If, if you're sitting out there and you have real money, you, you and you're a developer, so you think like, who needs this? These guys are small time. Yeah, they're basically thugs. But, you know, speaking yeah. of Narona, that, that would have been good use of Twitter. Still waiting. Yes. <laughs> I'm still in the office. Here's a picture yeah. of Mattiello's door. I'm still waiting. I got to get going soon. He's not interested. That would be a good use of Twitter. But, but uh, yeah, I think Narona was still playing the game back then a bit. But, yeah, that's that's what it is. It's small time. And that's what Rhode yeah. Island set up for people who, who need that little ego boost. Like, I'm the, I'm the boss. I'm going to make these big, important people wait. You think you're big because you've got a multi-billion dollar enterprise? I can make you sit in my office for 45 minutes that kind of attitude is what our system attracts and, and that's a real problem folks again our segment politics this week he is justin katz managing editor at rising.com justin excellent job as always and we'll talk to you again thank you john talk to you soon next time you have an emergency think at med urgent care Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. At Med Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At At Med Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals families they're on duty at all times they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical now if you're in a car accident go to atman urgent care avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms they also do adult vaccinations laboratory testing atman urgent care when it's an emergency 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston, that's right, in the Atwood Medical Center, and also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, online at admedurgentcare.net. This portion of our program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, right off of 146. Delicious food and drink, always a nice crowd. You can either eat in the lounge area there's normally a game on and a nice group of people there or you could sit out in the dining room don't forget the nice weather they have the deck open the lodge pub and eatery 40 breakneck hill road in lincoln delicious food and drinks awaiting for you i'll see you at the lodge